new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. is live. It is Tuesday night. Yes, kids, Tuesday night, August 9th, year of our Lord, 2022. From now until about Valentine's Day, when you think of Tuesdays, think of us. We are jam-packed high atop an extremely volatile and stormy downtown Nashville, Tennessee right now. Whispers and intel from coast to coast. This is the show to come to if you want the scoop and the juice on the very latest going on in camps all across the country. Also, several thoughts on sort of an evolving and developing situation when it comes to the Big Ten media rights deal, which is something that I will admit sounds boring to a lot of you. But as I've told you over the past three months, it shouldn't be. It, it involves every one of you and every one of the teams that you root for and the overall landscape of college football. I'm going to tell you tonight why this is going to probably end up being a good thing for all of us. We've taken some L's. We've caught some strays as hardcore college football fans over the last few months you got to enjoy the wins and take the wins when you can get them. I think all of us are getting a win here, and I'll tell you why. Bold Predictions wraps up tonight. It culminates tonight, and it's going to be a double feature. We're going too deep on Bold Predictions this evening. And also, I am going to answer a question that I think thousands of you at this point have asked me, and that is, which of the preview magazines out there do I rely on? Which one do I like the most? I sometimes mockingly refer to this time of year's preview magazine season, but that doesn't mean I don't crack open a preview mag. And I've got, I've got my favorites, you've got your favorites. I'm going to point some out tonight, though, that I think you need to really have as part of your preseason arsenal. They're watching us in Orange, Texas, Salt Lake City, Utah, Ella J, Georgia, Rigby, Idaho is tuned in. I am not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I will tell you there are new items coming to the Late Kick store, possibly as early as tonight, definitely as late as tomorrow at the latest. Uh, PateStateMaterial.com. Keep an eye out, kids. Keep an eye out. Let's dive into camp, whispers, and intel. There's a lot going on. you got to stay up to date on this stuff. If you're going to be a casual fan, if you're going to be a passive fan, it may not be important, but it's not the clientele we have on this show. So camp, whispers, and intel. What's the very latest we're hearing? Let's start in Baton Rouge. Let's talk about that quarterback situation. If you tuned out after spring and you're just coming back, I, I don't know how to put this. You really haven't missed anything. We don't endorse that sort of behavior, but when it comes to the LSU quarterback situation, you really haven't missed anything. When we last left off, for those of you who did check out after spring and wanted to live your life in the summer months, you had Miles Brennan there, healthy again. He started for LSU a few times before. Garrett Nussmeyer, the young up-and-comer. Jaden Daniels, the Arizona State transfer, comes in. And we didn't really have any kind of conclusion coming out of spring, did we? We still don't have conclusion. I sat three feet from Brian Kelly at SEC Media Days and asked him on the record, what's the quarterback situation? Asked him off the record. All right, what's really the quarterback situation? The quarterback situation is as it appears. They've gone through a few days of camp down there. I know that there have been some wheels turning, and you've heard a lot of, a lot of whispers, maybe, if you're paying close attention, out of LSU about how Garrett Nussmeyer was taking reps with the ones. I would not say that's nothing. I would not draw conclusions from it at all. 
Uh, Brian Kelly's been pretty open and forthright. I'm telling you, I keep emphasizing that for a reason. There's nothing to hide. Some places, they're trying to manufacture the illusion of quarterback battle. That's not LSU. Uh, what I do think is going to happen, and this is a theme, obviously, throughout fall camp, is when you start to get into a scrimmage setting, and really at LSU, just when they start to get into full 11-on-11, 11 11, you scrimmage in some shape, form, or fashion multiple times a week. When they start to get into that, and they, and they start working the full gamut, you know, third down looks, for example. I don't even think they've gotten deep into that yet. That's when the reps start to matter. That's when who's running with the ones starts to matter. And, and ultimately, you do not go three deep in a quarterback battle for any length of time in fall camp. I think most of us know that. However, as I've shot down all of the speculation, let me ramp it right back up. It's been a familiar theme on this here program that we believe in Garrett Nussmeyer. I think he's the highest upside guy there. And when you've got a fresh start and you've got a new offensive staff coming in, there are no preconceived notions. And even if there were, I would still halfway like Garrett Nussmeyer's chances. I think he's going to end up starting for them at some point this year. What I don't know, nor does anyone else down there know, is whether it's going to be against Florida State in week one. So yes, there's a lot of legitimacy to Garrett Nussmeyer and his shot at the starting LSU quarterback job. It's not because he's been running with the ones. In fact, I, I, I don't really make much of that. His performance and his ability level, that's what's going to get him there ultimately, not how practice reps have been divvied up so far. Uh, let's go to Wisconsin. I'm going to say a sentence right now that you don't hear me say a lot. Let's talk about the Wisconsin passing game. Bottle that up, Jesse. We may not hear it again this year. I am jaded. That is my default position towards Wisconsin offensively, and ultimately, therefore, their ceiling as a team any given year. Because they're, they're never going to be bad. They're always a really good team. But they're, you know, they are what they are. I guess it's the best way to describe them offensively. They are what they are. They can really brutalize inferior rosters. And they, let's be real now. We've watched Wisconsin go toe-to-toe against superior talent rosters and hold their own. But they're not going to get into any kind of Big Ten championship situation or playoff setting and have any success because they haven't been able to stretch the field. And then there was this little ray of sunshine named Graham Mertz that comes in a couple of years ago, and we think it's going to be different, and it really hasn't been different to this point. Enter the name Skylar Bell. Skylar Bell, I know it's early. Okay, we could say that about every update I'm going to give you. Skylar Bell has been a standout. He was a standout in the spring for them, so this is not a new name to those of you in and around Madison. It is a new name because I haven't spoken about him on the show yet, but Skylar Bell's a wide receiver, and he is a guy who shined for them in spring, and so it was kind of one of those, all right, let's see if he can carry it over into fall camp. Well, so far, I mean, Monday, for example, everyone was talking about him. I got texts about him. I got texts about the Wisconsin wide receiver core, namely Skylar Bell the other day. Uh, that was very, it was very, well, encouraging. Um, however, knowing my jaded position on the Wisconsin passing game, I will admit to you, I am still in a remains to be seen, got to prove it to me sort of camp. That's fine. What's the impact ultimately here? Because I don't really care if I hear names. I want to see a tangible difference in the overall offensive output. That's where I got to wait a few games in and I got to see box scores. We got to see data. I mean, we've got to have our eyeballs on football games. If all of a sudden I'm looking at Wisconsin and I'm saying, you know what they can do? Everything they've been able to do. And, and then there's that dot, 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 ellipsis, as my 11th grade grammar teacher told me that was called. And then you're saying, and, that's Skylar Bell, kid. That passing game, you know, Graham Mertz, after all. Wouldn't that be fun to say? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be a little shot of adrenaline in the Big Ten Western division picture? Let's fly down 
to Austin, Texas. But not to talk about the quarterback position. No, no, no. Let's dive a little deeper with the Longhorns, shall we? What are the hopes of the 2022 Texas Longhorns really built on? As is usually the case with any team with high expectations, the lines of scrimmage. Uh, pass rush and offensive line are two critical factors that were in relative states of disarray last year. And that was a fancy way of saying they just kind of sucked in both areas. And this year, there is reason for guarded optimism, but it's not like someone flipped a magical switch down there and all of a sudden they got all Americans from left to right across the O-line and they got four different Will Andersons in Austin. It's still a work in progress. And that's why even if Quinn Ewers is a guy who pans out this year, that doesn't automatically solve all of Texas's problems. Well, now we start to get into fall camp and now we start to hear how, how they're rotating guys. And we, here's what we did know. We knew even in spring, when they could not even practice like they wanted to because that true freshman class had not come in yet, you can put two and two together and reasonably assume, well, that means true freshmen are going to have to play on the offensive line at some point this year. And Cale Hudson, who is, or Cole Hudson, I can't remember, Cale or Cole, Hudson is a guy who was there. He's one of the true freshman offensive linemen who was there in spring, and he is taking reps with the first team at right guard. Another guy named Kelvin Banks, you remember because he once committed to Oregon, and then backed out of that and ended up committing to Texas. He's an in-state product. He's running with the twos at left tackle. This is before they've really gone full pads out there. Uh, this is definitely before they've scrimmaged so far. You're going to see true freshmen on the offensive line for Texas at some point this year because the true freshmen, even though they are just that true freshmen, are going to bypass guys who have tenure about themselves. That's the nature of the athlete they just recruited in this past class, and it's also a nature, it's, it's the nature of the athlete they currently have on campus. That is what it is. You're going to end up taking your lumps. Uh, that's why Texas is no big threat to go undefeated this year. But if those guys do end up maybe a little bit surpassing expectation, well, you know who you've got in the backfield at running back. And you know who you could have at quarterback. And you definitely know who you've got out wide. So hopefully those tumblers kind of start to fall into place. But I'd keep an eye. We will be keeping an eye on those Texas practice reports, especially when they get on the field and they go you know, full scrimmage mode. Who is starting there? And how many, how many true freshmen are running in that too deep? I want to go to Auburn right quick, and I want to just talk about the offense here for a second. Outside of Tank Bigsby. Tank Bigsby, pound for pound, is one of the best running backs in the country, regardless of program. But at quarterback, you know, they had sort of a three-headed, I don't know, in the spring. Uh, Zach Calzada has transferred here from Texas A&M, was not able to practice in the spring. TJ Finley... Played for him at various points last year. Kind of have what you have with T.J. Finley. And Robbie Ashford was the Oregon transfer, who's also in the mix there. And uh, it, it's kind of the opposite of some of the other quarterback situations in America, where you may look at some of them and say, they got multiple guys they probably think they can win with. At Auburn, we've been trying to figure out whether they have one guy they can win with. Now, what's fun is, you know, I'm, I'm from down there, so I know some folks close to the program. Not as many as I used to, because the new staff's in there. But you, you hear such mixed reports, and then you go over to Auburn Undercover, or Auburn 24-7 site, and you read practice reports, and it's early in camp, obviously, but already I've noticed a theme, and that is you'll see wide receivers struggling with drops, but then you'll listen to Brian Harson on that same day after the media viewing period is over talk about how it's one of the best days we had, and it's, it's just basically saying all that to say consistency is not necessarily where it needs to be. It's the first week of camp, so that's not the biggest shock in the world. But they have to have more 
to this offense than Tank Bigsby. You know, it has to be at least has to be at least a couple of guys out wide. And they have candidates now. They got some surprising size actually in that wide receiver stable. But to answer the question, who's throwing them the ball? That's something we still haven't arrived at. And I think that scrimmages are going to be vitally important at Auburn. I think they've got one coming up this week where there are people around that program who expect this guy on your screen, Zach Calzada, to eventually separate himself. That hasn't happened so far. But then again, the assumption, I think, from a lot of folks around the Auburn program is based on that scrimmage setting, a full football setting being tailor-made for Zach Calzada to make his move. I've watched him play. Uh, You all have watched him play. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. Zach Calzada plays in such a manner that's gotten himself injured a couple of times. So he does not have any problem putting the pedal all the way down on the floor. I just wonder if the pieces will develop around whoever that quarterback is, Calzada or otherwise. Uh, Last stop, uh, and we're going to have obviously this as a theme the entire month of August, but at Tennessee, they had problems defensively last year. That's not the breaking news. I also don't think it's breaking news to tell you defense has left a little bit to be desired so far through fall camp. They've got several scrimmages still to come to. Uh, but, you know, we're not sitting here talking about Hendon Hooker. We're not talking about their ability to run fast tempo. I saw, uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but I saw in one of my favorite preview publications, Tennessee was the fastest paced offense last year in terms of plays per minute. They ran 2.99 plays per minute last year. So three, three plays every minute. Uh, that's, that's moving pretty quick. But the reason sometimes they had to do that is because they were playing catch-up. Uh, the other reason they had to do that is because, well, that's how they run their offense. But then there's a third reason, and that's because they know showing up when their defense is in the kind of state it was last year, we probably need 35. You just go into every Saturday off the bus knowing we probably need 35 today. Does it always pan out that way? No. But we probably need 35 to feel comfortable, maybe even more than that. And that's because defense, especially at linebacker last year, was just so woefully thin. Now, you can do a little bit to rectify that, and they did, but they could not perform miracles up there. And as a result, uh, it's not surprising, as I said, to hear that the early defensive returns from Knoxville have not been glowing in nature. Uh, They have had a lot of injury concern at corner so far. So they really haven't been able to work their full defensive back rotation like they want to. They also lack quality depth. Let's just call it like it is. And that's something that's going to take multiple recruiting classes and portal classes to rectify. So that's not to rain on the parade. It's to paint a reality-based picture and to understand that again this year, if you are one who is going to back that power T, you're backing them understanding you know, third down stops may be a little less few and far between than you want them to, but we're going to have to score. So Hendon Hooker is going to have to be everything that you thought he was last year and you expect him to be this year. It's just the style of play they're going to have to have this year. It, it's been done before. That's the way it's going to have to be done this year. It is today, August 9th, right? So we still have three Saturdays, two if you're, uh, let me straighten this microphone up, two of them if you are a week zero person, which we are, you know, so we're already locked in though. But if you've got free Saturdays coming up, if you've got free weekends coming up, like in Nashville, if you can dodge these raindrops, Academy Sports and Outdoors, they're calling. Do you hear them? They're calling you. You need that outdoor gear. You need those sporting goods. You also, I mean, I had one of our buddies in Arkansas yesterday go get some steak rub. Yeah, they've got it at Academy. I try and explain to you guys, if you live the sort of lifestyle that those of us 
around this show tend to live, they've got everything you need uh, from sporting goods, equipment, and beyond. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com, they've got the hookup. And the reason, and I try and remind you because I know we got new listeners and viewers every single week, the reason you're getting this show for free is not the kindness of the company's heart. It's not because I've got a rich uncle who has fully subsidized this operation. It's Academy Sports and Outdoors. They have appreciated us enough to be our exclusive partner, and therefore we appreciate them enough to tell you that's the place. Nowhere else, all due respect, that's the place to go for all of your outdoor sporting goods needs. Academy Sports and Outdoors or Academy.com. We are going part three tonight of a series that we are calling just most important names. Who are these names that are not just going to impact their teams, but then they're going to have a disproportionate impact on the teams around them, their conference, division, the entirety of the sport, dare I say. So let's dive into this tonight. Most important names in college football this year. I'm going to go to College Station. Devon Achain is a, he's a guy I love to listen to Jimbo Fisher talk about. Jimbo Fisher, when he talks about Devon Achain, he almost talks about him as if he has taken it personal, that he has not gotten more push nationally. And I get why he's saying it, because he knows what caliber of player he is. I also get why he has not gotten more national push. It's because he hasn't been a feature back there. He will. You know, theoretically, he's got that opportunity to be this year. Uh, he split time with Isaiah Spiller last year. And so when you look at his numbers, you could either be a casual who says, he didn't even rush for 1,000 yards, or you can... Pull out your calculator and see, hmm, let's see, 130 carries, 910 rushing yards. Wow, that's like seven yards per carry, isn't it? And like, yeah, it is. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist, trust me, we can do it, to extrapolate those numbers out. And what happens if we add another 100 carries to that workload? He also happens to be able to run like a 3840, so he doesn't hurt if you want to get him the ball out of the backfield. He can really hurt you in that department, too. He is as poised, Devon Achain is as poised for a breakout season at the tailback position as anybody at that position in college football. Uh, he is a guy I don't really have much doubt about. I, I am able to freely speak confidently about him because if he avoids injury, everything about how they're set up this year, everything about how their depth chart is set up this year lends him to really flashing on the national radar. And think about it. He's in the SEC West, so you're going to get Zach Evans at Ole Miss. Uh, you're going to, well, let's see what LSU does, but you're, you're going to get Jameer Gibbs, for example, at Alabama. Let's see. We know we got about half a dozen running backs up at Arkansas. Let's see how A-Chain kind of, kind of fits on that national radar. He'll be a standout at A&M. I want to see how he fits on the national radar. Uh, let's go to Nebraska for a second. Here's a really important name. Really important. Casey Thompson, former quarterback at Texas. He's now the starting quarterback presumably, we're going to presume that he is the starting quarterback at Nebraska. I'm going to read you some numbers here. In fact, you're looking at them on your screen right now. In 2021, Casey Thompson at Texas, he played 12 games. You know, he was kind of in and out. They had some, some rotation at the quarterback position, but he was a 63.2% completion percentage guy. He threw 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions. All right, so here's the question. If I just take that number, if I take that kind of statistical output and I drop it at Nebraska, what happens? I know one year does not automatically carry over to the other, so we can't just magically say, well, if he does that this year, they win all those close games they lost. It, 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 I know that real football doesn't play out like that, but let's just humor each other for a second. If we get that kind of production, 
what they had last year at Nebraska in Adrian Martinez was a 14 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio, which is really what killed him because, I mean, he had he threw for 2,800 yards last year. So Martinez had more passing yards than Casey Thompson did. He was not as good in terms of completion percentage, but just turning the ball over, that's what hurt them a lot last year. I think if they get Casey Thompson at his reasonable best, I think that, well, they're winning more than three games is the first thing I think. Uh, the second thing is, what does that do? We're talking important names outside of just their own little personal space there. If Casey Thompson performs admirably this year, well, he resurrects the bowl hopes of the Nebraska program. He probably saves Scott Frost's job. It greatly shakes up the Big Ten Western Division race. And of course, you look at the opposite sides of those respective coins. If he doesn't pan out this year, then you're probably looking at a different head coach at Nebraska come 2023. So yeah, no pressure or anything, but that's a really important name at Nebraska. At quarterback in Knoxville, this is why I didn't touch on him a whole lot a second ago, Hendon Hooker, really important name. Remember what I just said. Defensively, you got what you got with Tennessee. So you've got to come into every Saturday expecting that you probably need to be in that mid-30s range uh, to at least feel like you're giving yourself a really good shot to win. It's one of the most high-leverage quarterback positions in America because of the tempo they work at. I know this kind of serves as its own individual segment on our YouTube channel, so I'm going to repeat what I just said on the live show. 2.99 plays per minute. They're going to run a ton of plays. He's going to touch the ball a whole lot. So they're just more decisions that Hendon Hooker has to make on an average Saturday. And then you extrapolate that number out over, hopefully for him, 12 games. You see how his name, even in that column of quarterbacks, is just a little bit more important. Also, there's more weight on his shoulders. Offense has to carry more of the load at Tennessee than it does elsewhere. He'll be asked to do way more. They think he's fully capable of it. 31-3, touchdown to interception ratio guy last year. Also, and here's where he impacts the rest of the sport. They play Pitt in week two. So he could go up there and he could not only shake Pitt in terms of, and I know this is a stretch, in terms of any playoff resume the Panthers may have, but it also serves to give us a good taste of what Pitt is this year. You know, it, it serves to give us a nice preview of how they may fare in ACC play by watching what they can or can't do against Hendon Hooker and Tennessee. But also, this is a team in Tennessee every year. You know they play Bama. You know they play Georgia. One of only a precious few teams who play both of them. But also, Tennessee goes to LSU this year. So there's a really good chance to do some things in the ACC or to an ACC team. You got a couple of shots at SEC Western Division teams, high profile in nature. You got the Georgia game. It's you also got Heisman conversation if you start to get deeper in the season and those numbers start to rack up in a pinball manner. Then I want to go to Waco, Texas. Now, the last time I was in Waco, I was broken down on the side of the road. Not the fondest of memories. But you know what else we got to do? We got to see a field storming, and we got to see Baylor take down Oklahoma, and we got to really learn a little bit more about Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda one of the most important names in college football this year. We may be seeing a new model for him. You realize that? You never know it as it's happening, do you? You only look back years later and say, oh, that was the A model or the B model or the C model. Uh, Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech, that was the Virginia Tech model. Well, we may be seeing one form here. Everyone knows the tier one model. Everyone knows the Bama model. Just go get the best players in the country, hire the best coaches in the country, 
uh, fill your staff up with an army of analysts and just get the best of everything. Yeah, that's one way to go about it. It's pretty foolproof. Not everyone can do that. And so Dave Aranda realizes that. And at Baylor, I think they're developing their own model. And one of the biggest compliments that you can get as a coach is the product you're putting on the field. The results that your program is yielding constantly outpace the sum of the parts. That's what we could reasonably say about Baylor last year. I expect we're going to be able to say it about them again this year. And then all of a sudden, you don't get to look at last year as being some fluke anymore, which I think some people are still prone to do. Anybody can just pull off a shocker for one year. You know, if Oklahoma would have had six more inches, we wouldn't be talking about you as a conference champ. You know how all that goes. Well, if they turn that trick again this year, all of a sudden, you don't get to use that F word, that fluke word anymore, nor any other F words around here. Let's make it a family-friendly program. It's not Brandon Walker. We're not savages. And also, you get the rest of the country if that happens. If Baylor's successful again this year, you get the rest of the country that's not named Ohio State or Georgia or Clemson, that doesn't have a Tier 1 or even a Tier 2 budgetary advantage or resource advantage, and they say, okay, well, we got to find ourselves a different way to do it too. Let's start to look at what this Aranda guy has been doing at Baylor. Now, I'm not ignorant. I know most people have already long since taken note of what he's been doing. But some people who are more result-oriented still need that year-over-year proof of performance. If they get it this year, you know, not to mention what that could do with the Big 12 race. If Baylor is standing there as a Big 12 champ again, and it's not Oklahoma again, and Texas is not there again, you talk about some patients wearing very thin. They may be prepared to deal with a lot of things in the Big 12. What they're not prepared to deal with is Baylor owning the conference. That's not what they're prepared to deal with. They watched that happen. They watched a Baylor program rise to prominence once upon a time. And then when it got taken apart for the reasons and in the manner in which it got taken apart, which I don't think we need to rehash, most of the folks up and down the Big 12 said that's the last we'll hear from them. You were wrong. As it turns out, you were dead wrong. And you got a guy out there running things the right way. And I happen to be a big fan of his. This is, it's, we're not reporters here. So we can say whatever we want. I'm a big fan of Dave Aranda. So selfishly, I'm pulling for this to be true. Last name for tonight in honor of producer Jesse, Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford has made the list. Sean Clifford, quarterback at Penn State. Who, even the most casual, non college football fans know who Sean Clifford is at this point. He's just, he's a veteran college football player. He is the definition of the veteran college football player. You know, one of the most anemic and sad, pitiful stats from the 2021 college football season was the fact that Penn State did not have a 100-yard rusher in any game. They were badly banged up early on at the running back position, so that, you know, yielded that result. But also... When we look at 2022, if we're going to rectify that, it doesn't just start at tailback. You know, it starts at quarterback. Because they also lost their quarterback last year uh, in the Iowa game. I think we all remember how that panned out. But if you look at their offensive output, they were 80th or worse in every key total offensive metric, every key running statistic. I mean, they're, they're 80, 90, 105. So it wasn't good enough. Sean Clifford holds the keys to all that. Because the bottom line is you can get me excited about Nick Singleton. You can get me excited about the prospects of this run game. But you can't get me excited about it if you haven't replaced Jahan Dotson. 
if you don't have precision at the quarterback position, and if I'm just able to stack the box against you every Saturday. And right or wrong, I think a lot of people feel like they can do that against Sean Clifford and Penn State. So all you, all you have to do is prove them wrong. That's all you have to do. If he's able to do that, you know, if they're able to operate at a high enough and an efficient enough level offensively, well, then what does that do? Because, you know, right now, if we're looking at their schedule, you know they play Ohio State on the 29th of October. You know that. You probably aren't paying a lot of attention to it, though, because you think to yourself, even with the home field advantage, they just can't score enough. You know, they can't keep up with Ohio State. Well, all of a sudden, you know, if Sean Clifford's playing at the highest level of his career, if, if that young talent, especially at tailback, is panning out a little earlier than expected, if that transfer receiver talent, and Parker Washington is elevating his game already on campus as well, if all that's kind of happening simultaneously, well, all of a sudden, there's a long way between September 1 and October 29. And also, they got a trip to Michigan a couple of weeks before that. All of a sudden, that Big Ten race looks a whole lot different, doesn't it? So there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to be decided based on how Sean Clifford plays this year. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. They're watching us in Plant City, Florida, Auckland, New Zealand, and Shell Beach, California. I need a big favor. Probably the biggest favor we ask for around here. You know what I really need? I know this bothers, bothers you. Hold on. Just, I don't like our mics around here right now. I'm, I'm not a fan of them. I need you to um, just like the video. Click that thumbs up, thumbs up button. If you're watching live, which about 1,400 of you are right now, just the thumbs up video. Jesse told me when I asked you to do that the other night, like 500 of you hit that like button simultaneously, which I appreciate. It just means we need to form better habits around here. Because I'll forget to ask you. So let's just let's do it without me even asking. And subscribe to the channel while you're at it. Okay, this is what I've gotten asked about more than anything else over the past 24 hours. So let's dive into this for a couple of minutes. It concerns everybody. I promise you, if you're even a, a passive college football fan, this concerns you. The Big Ten media rights situation. What's the very latest? Well, it looks like we are on the precipice of an official announcement coming down. And it seems imminent. Everyone in our industry thinks it's eminent. Full disclosure, obviously, I am employed by CBS. Our company is, is knee-deep or neck-deep, according to reports, in this whole thing. So we're not here to share any industry information. We're not here to you know, divulge any company secrets. What I do want to do is talk on a very surface-based level and then dive in in the future about what this means for all of you, not just Big Ten fans, but what this means for all of you. Because I want to forget the numbers for a second. We'll have time to chop up numbers. Who paid what for how many games and what time of day are they going to air? You can read about all that, and you probably already have. But I want to ask you something. You notice how a lot of people in college football disagree, and even you and I disagree sometimes. I've noticed that there's one thing 90-plus percent of you agree on with me, and that is that you don't want any one network having a disproportionate chokehold on the sport. No one thinks that's good for college football. There is no network out there that is run by so many angels as to 
you saying, yeah, give them the entire package. No, everyone's got their faults. Everyone's got their flaws, us included. No one wants one network to own all of this inventory. And if you feel that way, then we agree. And if you feel that way with me, I got some really good news for you. So let's dive in. Let's, let me remind you, if you haven't been glued to this, because I know it's kind of a thing that we nerd out on, uh, you may not care about it as much. John Oran of Sports Business Journal reported last night and then again this morning, ESPN is out of the bidding. They are out of the running for the Big Ten media rights deal. Now, let me also remind you of this. Here's how this is going to work. Fox will keep that noon game. That Fox will have the number one Big Ten game every week. That's not what we're talking about. It's not the entirety of the Big Ten package that's gone to market. It is parts of the Big Ten package. And so what you have is you have bidding taking place for who's going to get the number two Big Ten game and maybe number three Big Ten game on a given Saturday. And we've got basketball included here, too. We're talking about football. And so according to John Oran of Sports Business Journal, ESPN, out. Their bid, not good enough. We'll talk about the numbers down the road. CBS is in prime position, as is NBC. That according to John Oran. That's not anything that we shared on a company meeting earlier today. Here's the follow-up quote. Okay, so think about so far what I just told you. The Big Ten, they already got Fox. You're looking at potentially CBS and NBC. That's all the big ones. That's the three that your dad and mom used to watch when they were kids. So you got them all in the room. And then, and you know what it's time to do, time to pop the paper. I want to also add this little cherry on top. And then I'm going to hit the rewind button about three weeks for you. This also from John Oran yesterday. ESPN, presumably out of the bidding for the Big Ten media rights. And then, quote, ESPN is expected to aggressively, therefore, go after the Big 12 and Pac-12 media rights. Director Colin. I think you have a piece of video from three weeks ago. I want to remind you guys, you are not wasting your time when you're watching this show. And here is, once again, proof. Roll it. Here's where it concerns the Big 12 and the Pac-12. There are going to be some other big players at the table who are told, you lose. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to look in front of them. They've just got this, this huge mountain of cash that they've allocated to spend on Big 10 football and basketball, mainly football. And they were told, your money is no good here, but your money's still here. And so what are they going to do with it? Well, they can do one of two things. Either they can just say, well, there goes the SEC. There goes the Big Ten. They're locked up forever. The ACC is not coming online anytime soon. I guess we're just not going to have college football on our airwaves. Uh, spoiler alert, that's not the route they're going to go. Or they could go Route B, and they could say, all right, what else we got? There's the Pac-12. Now, the Pac-12 is not going to be nearly as attractive a product as the SEC. The Pac-12 will not be nearly as attractive a product as the Big Ten, but they will be a product. And someone, in fact, multiple someones out there are going to have a ton of money and a ton of shelf space that they need to fill. You're not in as bad a position if you're the Pac-12 or the Big 12. I think it's kind of a one or the other scenario right now. They're not in nearly as dire a position as it seems. John asked in the live chat, why did I just turn gray? I, I think it's a good touch. I think when we play SOTS, which is a soundbite, I think we do need to do that kind of coloration to it to basically show you that's from the past. This, this more bright, vibrant color, this is present. This is live right now. But that was from the past. 
Well, did you notice we kind of nailed that? It's almost like we knew something because we've been talking to someone. Sources, as they call them. Um, not only did we have the right feel on that, but now I want to tell you where it gets even better. A lot of good news in this segment for all of you. What I said there is, hey, a lot of folks are going to bid on the Big Ten. Someone's not going to land it. That money's still going to be in their lap. And then it's, it's like you go to the grocery store and you, you, you go to the car lot and you planned on spending on a car and they're all out and you're just sitting there with all that money. What are we going to do with it? A responsible person would just go invest it, put it back in the bank. We're not responsible people. So we've got to spend it somewhere. Oh, and by the way, your wife has demanded that you come home with groceries, that you come home with a car. And it's the same way here. Whoever it is, if it's ESPN, if it's whoever it is, they got to have stuff to put on that shelf. Namely, live college football. And there is not an endless supply. Scarcity has entered the chat. And scarcity is suggesting that you better go grab the Big 12. You better go grab the Pac-12. You better get whatever you can. And here's the added bonus. If you'll notice in John Oran's reporting, not only is ESPN whiffing on the Big 10 and therefore back on the market, I haven't heard a single mention of Apple. I haven't heard a single mention of Amazon. If those three, or really just even two of the three, but if all three are still in the room and they haven't dropped a dime on live media college football rights yet, then it's a heyday for the Pac-12 and the Big 12. They are not gonna get Big 10 money. They're not gonna get SEC money. They're not gonna be poverty conferences though. They're going to get probably well above and beyond what you know, traditional market rate would be because the market's changing. And that's good for all of us. It's good if you're an, an Auburn fan. It's good if you're a Michigan State fan. Because unless you want to see the rest of the sport fall off the proverbial cliff, then you have to be able to have those conferences subsidized. And in a perfect world, you don't have to subsidize them. The good old-fashioned market does it for you. And I think that's about to happen. I think you're going to see ESPN move aggressively for one or both of those properties. And there's also an understanding in our business right now because no one has taken the full dive in with any streaming service. That means no conference has said, we're signing with Apple. No conference has said, we're signing with Amazon. Why? Because they're terrified that audiences aren't going to follow them there. They're terrified that you and I are married to the concept of holding that remote control and watching traditional programming on Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC, and we're not going to we're not going to pull up our smart TV and go to Amazon to watch Washington State versus Arizona. Look, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But what if one of those streaming giants comes to you and says, we're willing to pay 230% market value for your media rights package? It's going to happen. It's just not an if, but a when. I wonder if it's very close to happening. I think especially attractive would be the connection between the Pac-12 and Apple for obvious reasons. So uh, that, that's all on the table. So I think they're going to get a lot of money and they've been written off for dead. And I don't think that's the case right now. But here's my message to Big Ten fans. Uh, you won. If this goes down like this, you're the huge winner in this room. I, I like the Big Ten's position above and beyond the SEC's position. But here's the other thing to think about. Because I guarantee you, you've either thought this or you've heard someone say this over the past 24 hours. The huge industry takeaway is if this ends up panning out, It'll be the first time in like four decades that Big Ten football and basketball, it's not airing on ESPN. That's a huge deal. I, I don't want to overlook that. That's a huge deal. Here's the follow-up. My message to Big Ten fans on this is relax. 
when it comes to worrying about ESPN. There's a lot of concern out there right now. I've heard it a dozen times a day already. Oh man, the SEC, they've got exclusivity with ESPN. ESPN owns the college football playoff. Could we be about to get screwed out of spots because we don't get proportionate coverage, proportionate, proportioned coverage to the SEC? Could ESPN be about to box us out? Well, no, they're not going to. But if they do, it's going to largely be irrelevant. And I'm going to tell you why. That contract between ESPN and the college football playoff expires in 2025. And here's what else you need to realize. The structure, the landscape of our sport is shifting radically, in case you haven't noticed. There is no world. I would bet you a ton of money on this. There is no world, I see, where you get an expanded playoff and you get the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and whoever else you need to sign off on that media rights deal to sign off on a playoff media rights contract that gives one network the entire playoff. There's no way that's going to happen. No way. Even if it stays at four teams, that's not the way they're going to let it happen. But imagine this thing moving to eight or 12 or 16 teams. Almost dry heave even saying it. But imagine the playoff moving to 12 teams. So you've got added inventory. You've got more games. You're insane if you think that the Big Ten or the Pac-12 are about to sign off on saying, yeah, yeah, why not? We'll let ESPN buy that entire thing. There's no way. Some of these conference commissioners have, have expressed that already. George Klaikoff in the Pac-12, I don't think, took more than two or three breaths on his first day on the job before he said, I want to take the playoff contract to market. Don't let ESPN uh, buy the rights to that thing again before we take it to market and see what the network, networks are going to be willing to bid on it. Here's what your playoffs going to end up looking like. After 2025, whatever they agree on, I will you know, pound my fist on this table in anger and then that'll subside and it'll be what it is. But your future college football playoff is going to look strikingly similar to the NFL playoffs. Now, within the context of an expanded playoff, this is good news. If you don't like it like I do, put that to the side. If we have to go down that road, this is the only way to do it. You absolutely do it like the NFL's done it. I'm not for the professionalization of college football, but there are some aspects that the NFL uh, pulls off in terms of their structure that, that I do think would be very advantageous for college football to mirror. And one of them is the way, from a television standpoint, they structure their postseason. You don't tune into one network to watch the NFL playoffs. You catch the early game, the AFC game over there on CBS, and then you got the NFC 430 game over here on Fox, and then... You may have a, a primetime game on NBC and the Super Bowl. What does it do? It rotates networks every year. I think that's exactly what your college football playoff is going to look like one day. You'll have semifinal games on one network, and you may have conference uh, tie-ins, or you may have specific bowl location tie-ins, and that's its own spider web. And then you may very well see the national championship game hop network to network. I don't see sign-off coming if they all don't agree to do that. There's no way that's gonna happen. That'll be your next big stalemate. They're gonna sit in that room, and of course, I would imagine Greg Sankey and the SEC are gonna to want to uh, lobby as hard as they can for ESPN to land that thing. Well, there's no interest in anyone else outside of the SEC, maybe the ACC, but outside of those two for letting that happen, there's, there's no advantage to that. And so, you know, for obvious reasons, I think it's gonna to go to market. Anyway, I'm saying all that to say, you gotta take your wins when you can get them. This is a win for us. The more that you can pull the majority of the sport away from a certain network in the Northeast, and the more that you can divide that thing up amongst all of the bigger media entities in the country, the better the sport is for it. 
You know, I, I listen to you guys constantly. I've got my own gripes about ESPN and, and certain aspects of their coverage of our sport. No one's perfect, but there are certain aspects of the coverage of the sport that I think have grown either very stale or very tired. Well, the only answer to that is take some of it away from them. And in the Big Ten, you just got your wish. You took a lot of it. You took all of it away from them. We'll see how this ultimately pans out. Uh, this is probably news that will be finalized either this week or next week, but I do think, and my professional opinion is, it's good news for all of us. There you go. We got to win. Okay, big night for us tonight on Late Kick here. Really big night because it is the end of an era. The end of a, a multi-month era now of bold predictions. Chapter 30 and chapter 31 of bold predictions tonight. Why are we not stopping at 30? Why are we going to 31, you may ask? Well, for the most legitimate of reasons. The Undertaker's undefeated streak at WrestleMania ended at 30, and we want to top The Undertaker. So we're going double feature tonight. Bold prediction time, chapter 30. First up in South Bend, Indiana, Marcus Freeman and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. What's the record going to be this year? Their preseason over-under win total is nine. Well, Joseph says Marcus Freeman's going to go through his first year, going to have some growing pains, and an 8-4 and four record is on tap, but be not ye dismayed, a top-five recruiting class at the end of everything. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. This is a six for me. This is not the wildest prediction. I, uh, I like the over-under at nine. I like where Vegas has set this number. But there are five noticeable games on this schedule at Ohio State, at North Carolina, they got Brigham Young out in Las Vegas. You know, they got Clemson at home at USC. Boston College could sneak up on them. It's not out of the realm of possibility. They dropped some games this year. We don't know what Tyler Buckner is going to be at quarterback. But at the same time, you know, those are all winnable games, too. The one at Ohio State is the toughest, obviously. But 8-4, and 9-3, I could see that. I would lean over if you put the number at 8. 9, I think, is the right number there. But the second part of that is Notre Dame's going to land a top five class to make up for it all. That's going to happen. You know, to give you an idea of how sure I am of that, right now, Notre Dame's recruiting class, not a signing class yet, right now, Notre Dame's recruiting class is sitting number one in the country in the 24-7 sports team rankings, 292.03. That's the class ranking. If you stopped today, if you just made Marcus Freeman sign that class today, that would be the fifth ranked class in last year's cycle. The fifth ranked class at the end of it all was Texas last year, and their signing class was 289.04. So Notre Dame's class right now, with months to go, is already higher rated than the Texas class, which finished number five last year. Could you have decommitments? Yeah. You know what it could also happen? They could get some more commitments. I think they're at like 20 or 21 right now. So I, I put it at a six. It's not bold at all to say they're gonna finish top five in recruiting. That's like a one or a two. But to say they go eight and four, I would have preferred nine and three. So I put that at a six. How about the next one? Texas A&M and Alabama will both make the playoffs, ironically, from Austin. I have never seen, nor have you, two teams from the same division make the playoff. Seems like it's happened, but it hasn't. From the same conference, yes. From the same division, no. It does not matter who beats who here. I really believe that. They play on October 8th. It's going to be a ton of... There's going to be a ton of attention on that game when Jimbo Fisher faces Nick Saban. I don't know how many times we'll hear people say that, even though they, they will never appear padded up on the field at the same time. But I don't think it matters who wins that game with this scenario because you would think typically 
if Bama loses at home, they got far more ground to make up than if Texas A&M drops a close one on the road. Technically, that's true, but look at Alabama's schedule. They would have so much makeup ground. They would have so much territory on this schedule to make up for a loss. It doesn't matter who they lose to because they got at Texas, at Arkansas, at Tennessee, at LSU, at Ole Miss. They've got so many more games where it wouldn't matter if they lost by 10 points to A&M at home. If they don't lose again, they'd probably need to go win the SEC championship. But even if they didn't, even if A&M ran the table and went to Atlanta and won, you think a one-loss Alabama sitting there with their only loss to the SEC champs not going to go? Of course they're going to go. And of course, if you invert that and A&M's only loss is to SEC champion Alabama, they would go. It's just that it's tough to do because both of them play really, really heavy schedules. Right now, Bama, their odds to make or miss the college football playoffs, an interesting new prop bet there at Caesars. Bama is minus 225 to make the playoff. A&M's plus 650. So A&M, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think they're ninth, and they're tied with Texas, by the way, in terms of odds to make the playoff. Uh, this is an 8.5 for me, because anytime you call two teams from the same conference, much less the same division making it, it is an eight minimum. But if it's going to happen, this pairing may very well be the most likely for it to happen. Next up, let's go to Michigan. Ben said Michigan, at the end of this 2023 recruiting cycle, will have a top 10 class. I don't think it's going to happen. I just I don't think that there is enough for them to make up this ground. Right now, they're 28th. And I don't really care what you're rated right now or ranked, but I do look at what stands between Michigan's current class at 27, sandwiched between Stanford and West Virginia, and what it would take for them to you know, rocket their way up the board all the way into the top 10. And the fact of the matter is, I just don't think that they're in it for enough kids highly rated enough for them to propel themselves into the top 10. Top 20, yeah. Uh, top 15, I think would be a successful class. They may push for that. But top 10, I mean, just to give you an idea, I was looking through the top 24-7 earlier today. They only have a crystal ball. They are the, they're, they're the crystal ball favorite. Let me rephrase. They're only a crystal ball favorite for one player in the top 200 right now. Now, you could play devil's advocate all day long if you want to with me. And you could say, oh, it's still early. Well, it's not that early. It's not that early, especially in the modern age of recruiting. It's not that early at all. And secondly, yes, you could argue that with me. But what you would need to be selling me on is this Michigan staff is going to flip multiple recruitments during the football season. And if they do, my hat's off to them. It's not like we're pulling against them. I just don't think that it's reasonable to expect enough for them to vault into the top 10. So I'm going to call this a nine on the boldness scale. Next up, this is really getting personal and close to home here. Uh, Josh Strouth said the Every Given Saturday Tour will be in Lexington, Kentucky in week 12. That is our tour. We go to a game. We, we hand pick a game to go to every week. We want it to be the biggest one, uh, the most intrigue. We want it to be close. We want to see blowouts. We want to see as many venues and teams in person as we can. First thing we got to do in week 12, take a look at the slate. Who else is playing that week? We got Georgia at Kentucky. That's who he's talking about. He thinks we're going to be at the Georgia-Kentucky game in week 12. Who else plays that day? We, we've got Georgia-Kentucky, obviously. We've got Ole Miss at Arkansas, Tennessee at South Carolina, Utah at Oregon, USC at UCLA, Oklahoma State at Oklahoma, Miami at Clemson. Do you notice something about this list? Nothing stands out. There is no game on there where you go, yep, that's it. A lot of weekends have that. This one doesn't. You're talking about the two favorites, the number one and number two in the SEC East in terms of preseason odds. 
and you know something else, Colin, if you have Georgia's schedule, could you throw that up for just a second? I want you to notice something. Georgia fans already know what I'm talking about. Uh, look at how Georgia's schedule plays out here. They got a four-game stretch that will define their regular season. They play Florida in Jacksonville on October 29th. Okay, so Florida in Jacksonville, Tennessee at home the next week, at Mississippi State the following week, at Kentucky the week after that. So this game, presumably the biggest game in the SEC East this year, if odds makers are to be believed, comes at the end of the toughest four-game stretch of Georgia's season. It is the second leg of a back-to-back -back road swing. It will be their third time on the road in a four-week stretch. So I think this is a lot more possible, frankly, than it sounded when I read the question. I'm only going to put a six on this. I think this may actually be the game we get to. And if it is, it's our first trip to Lexington. We have not seen Kentucky in Kentucky. We have not done that. So that would be a big deal. So let's, let's keep an eye on that. Still a long way away. Let's keep an eye on that. Uh, let's go with the last one for chapter 30, at least. KD said, Ohio State going to have a similar season to last year. They missed the playoff because of defensive issues again. Ryan Day is in the hot seat next year. Well, that second part, no. So we're going to just exclude the second part. Let's talk about the first part. Certainly, if Ohio State misses the playoff, that's what has happened. If they miss the playoff this year, it is because of defensive ineptitude. The goal up there, as stated by head coach Ryan Day, top 10 defense. Went and hired Jim Knowles, top 10 defense. I have told you, sheepishly, just top 20. Top 20 is good enough. I lean heavily towards the no here. I think they'll be in the playoff. And therefore, I put this at an eight. But the only reason that I didn't go higher is because I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, yeah, I've still got concern. It's, it's not, you don't, you don't hire miracle workers. I've said that a couple of times tonight. When you make these coaching changes, it, and it, it's, sometimes it is a night and day difference, but more times than not, what you see is you see some promise in year one, and then maybe if he's the real deal, and Jim Knowles is, then in year two, that's really when you see rubber meet road. How realistic is it to just expect this thing to completely be overturned in one year? I don't know. Now, the good news for Ohio State is it doesn't have to be totally overturned. That's why I keep trying to be realistic. I mean, what if they're ranked 23rd defensively this year? If look at their schedule first off and look at who they have on their offense second off, and they could very well run the table with the 23rd best defense in the country this year. So if they don't make the playoff, then it means, well, someone's beaten them. Maybe a couple of teams have beaten them. And it's because of that defense. And at that point, there would be questions about Ryan Day. There's two kinds of pressure. We talk about it on the show all the time. You got competitive pressure, and then you got job security pressure. There would be no job security pressure on Ryan Day. There would have to be off-the-field scandal this year for there to be any kind of job security pressure on him. But competitive pressure, you know, if, if you saw... C.J. Stroud play back-to-back -back years for you and you never made the playoff with him, if you saw all those racehorse-wide receivers and you never made the playoff with him, yeah, that's unacceptable. They'd all say that. He would say that. So it would be a tough conversation. It wouldn't be job security, though. Uh, but I'm going to call that an eight because I think Ohio State will make the playoff. Now what we're going to do, we're going to call our first and final timeout just long enough for Colin to re-rack the uh, elements there. And a reminder... Oh, nasty. We're at 666 likes. That's just gross. So please like the video. Uh, if, you, if you haven't, oh, it went down one. Thank you. So like the video, please, because uh, that's not a good number to look over at. We got 1,000 live the other night. Now, there's no reason why we can't have that now, since it, there's way more than 1,000 of you watching live right now. All right, here we go. Diving right back in. 
Bold predictions, the final chapter, 31 chapters, and what a run it's been. What a streak, unlike anything even The Undertaker was able to put up. Let's go to the Pac-12. Someone's going to make the playoff out there, according to Ian, and it's not Utah. A Pac-12 team makes the playoff not named Utah. There are three candidates, max, in this conversation. USC, UCLA, and Oregon. If it's not going to be Utah, and this conference is going to spit a playoff team at us, it's got to be either Southern Cal or Oregon or UCLA. This one involves a couple of things. It obviously involves whoever makes it beating Utah, I would imagine. All three of them play Utah in the regular season. You may even have to double dip them and beat them in the Pac-12 championship game, or maybe they got you in the regular season and then you return the favor in the Pac-12 championship game. Either way, someone's got to beat them. Uh, that's, that's not unrealistic. I just look at who the most balanced team out there is, the most trustworthy team out there is. It's certainly Utah. Therefore, I'm calling this a nine. Because also, think about what we're talking about. Even if you include Utah, we're talking about the Pac-12 giving us a playoff team. And that hasn't happened in quite a few years. I believe Washington was the last one. So regardless of who it would be, it's, it's lofty. If you take Utah out of the mix, it's even more lofty. So I'm going to put that one at a nine. Next up, we're going to the SEC East. This was a very popular prediction really throughout the entirety of us doing this. Jack McGuire, who co-hosts um, Unnecessary Roughness with Casey, uh, excuse me, with, uh, with Katie. We, uh, we, Casey's fine. We don't, we don't even acknowledge anyone else on that show. So Jack said Tennessee's going to win the SEC East. Okay. I asked him if he'd bet money on it. He said he has. I, I would love to get on board with this. I really would. I put it at an eight and a half. There are several reasons why. The first is, this could be an any given Saturday team. We've got the every given Saturday tour coming up this fall. Tennessee could very well be an any given Saturday team, meaning they possess the right ingredients to any given Saturday cattle prod you to the net. The problem may be defensively, they do not have the ability to be consistent enough to do what you have to do to win the East, which is bring it every week. And so, Outside of some clunkers showing up on their schedule, you may be right. I just don't think they're clunker-proof. Vegas put the over-under win total at eight right now. Uh, they have an early season test at Pitt, which is not a conference game, but Pitt is going to be a really good test for them. And then they got Florida in week four. That's really when conference play starts. Keep in mind, they've got Bama. Georgia doesn't. They've got Bama. Kentucky doesn't. They've got Bama, Florida doesn't. So they draw the unenviable task of playing Saban and Bama every year. That gets in their way. Um, I also, I know what the path is, okay? You could, you could sell me on this whole Georgia stumbles coming off a national championship year. It's happened before. You could sell me on Will Levis, I mean, Kentucky banking disproportionately on a high-level quarterback. When is that going to work out for them? I know how it sounds. I'm just saying some stuff also has to happen on the Tennessee side of things. and I'm. Not ready to push all those chips in yet. So I'm calling that an eight and a half. They also play Kentucky and Georgia back to back, if anyone's keeping track on schedule. Uh, let's go to the Big 12. This one got a nine and a half. Because this is, this is trying to predict a conference championship matchup, and that's just hard. West Virginia makes it to the Big 12 championship game against Texas. <sighs> all right. So predicting specific matchups never ends well. JT Daniels, starting quarterback for West Virginia. How many games do you think he's played? He is, we're asking him to play 12 this year. He has played 10 games over the past three seasons. I'm not trying to doubt him. 
I'm just trying to let you know what the odds are here. There are, what, 10 teams in the Big 12 right now. West Virginia has the eighth best odds to win the conference. Now, we're talking about making the Big 12 championship game. They play seven straight games to end their season. This is one of those little scheduling quirks that's especially relevant for West Virginia because they've got the longest road trips in the conference. Their shortest road trip in conference play is over 1,000 miles. Welcome to the non-regionality of college football. So starting on October 13th against Baylor, they go Baylor at Texas Tech, TCU at Iowa State, Oklahoma, K-State at Oklahoma State to end the year there. Uh, That's tough. It's just tough. Notice I haven't even talked about Texas because I wanted to zero in on West Virginia. Now, I took the over on the win total for West Virginia, but I want to remind you that just basically means they got to make a bowl game. Uh, Their over-under win total is five and a half. So I'm a believer in West Virginia exceeding expectation, but they could do that and win six games. I don't think they're going to be in the Big 12 championship game. So I call this one a nine and a half. Next up, we have two ratings on this prediction. First and only time we've done that. Uh, Kelly Ford, friend of the program, said, Late Kick will pull off a doubleheader and attend two games in a single day. Famously, we had an opportunity to do this last year, and I let it slip through our fingertips. We were at the Red River rivalry. I just cussed. We were at the Red River shootout, and we saw that game. This is iJosh footage. I shot this with this little contraption in my hand. And then we had an opportunity. After that game wrapped up, we had hours to spare. We could have driven down to College Station. I was credentialed for both games. And we could have gone to Bama A&M. Bama was favored by three touchdowns. I didn't see the need. I got on a plane. I watched A&M upset Alabama somewhere high over Arkansas. And I've regretted it ever since. And so we're looking at the schedule and we're trying to figure out which Saturday can we make it to two games in one day. I'll give you an example. Week seven, Penn State is at Michigan. Presumably, that would be the big noon kickoff on Fox. So if we get that one, and then one of those networks is so kind as to put Wisconsin-Michigan State in the nightcap, we could do that one. There's 63 miles between Ann Arbor and East Lansing. We could make that happen. But it's still a nine because everything has to pan out right. However, I told you there are two ratings on this. This rating goes from a nine to like a one if someone with access to private aviation steps up and helps us out. At Wheels Up, at NetJets, at just some random viewer who happens to have private aviation at their disposal. Uh, you guys, you know, you, you, wanna, you wanna spare a seat on those planes, we'll be more than happy to, uh, to take you up on it. And then it wouldn't be bold at all. We could easily make it happen. I may be able to pull a string or two and get you into a game if you're able to do that. Next up, Baylor. Dare I say my Baylor Bears. Repeating as Big 12 champs, that's what Jackson says. He said, Blake Chapin takes Baylor back to the Big 12 title game, and the Bears win it again. Jesse is a Baylor hater. I want to stress, producer Jesse, not me. Jesse said this is too bold. I did, and I said it's a six. I may pick Baylor to win the Big 12. But Jesse does send me a stats and info packet every day, and he was very quick to point out that they are 126th in returning production this year, which is sixth worst in the country. I told Jesse, they've got a model, they've got a formula, your stats are no good here. And he said, okay, well, you asked me to do that, so I did it. Thank you, Jesse. Their over-under win total is eight. It's a wide open Big 12. Now, you can look at it one of two ways. 
you could look at it being a wide open Big 12 and say, ooh, anyone can beat anyone. Yeah, I could also look at it and say that and say that's exactly why I like Baylor this year. So Baylor repeating as Big 12 champ, I'm not calling it that bold. I'm calling it a six because it is that wide open. I don't think it's bold to suggest that any of those top four or five teams could win it. Now, you get into the West Virginia territory, yeah, it's a little bolder, though not impossible. So I'm calling that a six. And with that, the curtain dropped on bold predictions. Now, show's not over. I got one more thing to talk about. But here's what we're going to do at the end of the year. At the end of the year, presumably sometime in mid-December, we have saved and archived every one of those. It has its own playlist. Bold Predictions has its own playlist on our YouTube channel. We will comb through those. Because I know good and well some of you have nailed predictions, even though I put like a nine on them. And we will have a lot of fun with that in December. Okay, last question. We had a question about preview magazines. So let's get to the question here. Ashton, very simple, very straight to the point. Ashton asked, what is the best preview magazine out there? If you grew up as a college football fan, I assume most of you did, there is no better feeling, including Christmas morning, than walking down the aisle at your favorite grocery store or Barnes & Noble, or as some of you like to call it Barnes & Nobles, like you go to more than one of them, and seeing that preview magazines have arrived on the shelves. And you, of course, unless you're a sadist, you pick up the magazine, you smell the magazine, and then you crack open the magazine in that order. I can't stress that enough. And you check out what's going to happen with your team this year. What's Antlon saying? What's Lindy saying? What's Uncle Phil saying? And so I buy all of those I have for a long time. So here's what I'm not going to do tonight. I'm not here to knock any magazine. I'm not here to say, don't go buy this one. Don't go buy that one. By all means, it's a great little cottage industry. Go buy all the magazines. But I am going to stump for one above the rest. And I don't think you guys are as familiar with it because it's a newer product. Um, I've actually got it here. It arrived at the office today. So this is, and I got to pull his name back up. I asked Brett how you say your name. <laughs> and, and Jesse and I were trying to guess. Okay, so this is Brett CNC's magazine. It's Pick 6 Previews. This is a really good product, guys. And it's the first year that he's done an actual physical copy. So normally this is a digital copy. And you can, of course, still get it in digital form. But he wanted one that when we dropped it on the table, it sounded like that. Also, he knows I like to smell the pages. Pages smell pretty good. Let me tell you what you've got here. You've got essentially the preview magazine version of what we've done with our show. For a long time, you grew up and, and you had, you know, big network studio college football shows, right? And then a few years back, we saw Facebook Live emerge and we saw YouTube Live emerge. And shortly thereafter, what happened? Some products like our show started popping up. And over time, the big networks took notice and you know, we got to elevate to this level and we're very blessed to be able to do that, but there is an independent spirit behind what we do. There's an independent spirit behind what guys like Brett do. I'm a huge fan of it because also what you'll notice in the independent game, you don't have the bells and whistles, so you just got to grind and grind and grind. You got to do your own work, but what ends up happening is you get a product that is more thorough and more authentic and more well-sourced and vetted and thought out than a lot of those more traditional and established publications that you get on your shelves. I'm not knocking them. I'm telling you, go buy all of them. But I'm also telling you, I'd go to Pick 6 Previews and I'd pick up a copy of this bad boy today. They're on Twitter, at Pick 6 Previews. You can get the digital copy. You can get the physical copy. But I just, I want to remind you guys what this time of year is all about. 
It's not time to marry these things. It's not time to marry any preview magazine. These are good pieces of source material. Uh, they are really entertaining, but what you want to do is you want to use it as a guide. If you're someone who loves to gamble, use it as a guide. If you want something sitting next to your chair on Saturdays in the fall to remind you of what depth charts look like, that's your guide. If you just want a general sense of where teams stand, that's your guide. But what I value the most is do I pick up your preview magazine and read your thoughts? Do I see something that was not aggregated from other sites or other sources or other magazines? That's this magazine. Pick six previews. You know you're reading something authentic. You know that you're, you're reading Brett's thoughts. Uh, he talks to a number of coaches. He's very, very open about that. Puts the coaches' names that he spoke to in the magazine. So I would encourage you guys, support publications like Pick 6 Previews. That's not the only one, but Pick 6 is one that just happened to arrive at the office today. So it just so happens to be one I'm holding up here. Didn't pay me a dime for that either. Some of you in the future may have to. Uh, a reminder, we are back on Tuesdays. We're here and we're not going anywhere. We'll be back on Thursday. So we got another show in 48 hours. Like the video, subscribe to the channel. I cannot in strong enough terms ask you to do that. This is the time of year. Here's why I'm so adamant about that. This is the time of year where our traction really ratchets up. The search engine, the search engine optimization aspect of our show really ratchets up. Need you guys to help with that. You always do. You know, you are the marketing department, of course. Liking our stuff, subscribing, sharing, that's worth its weight in gold and platinum and everything in between for us. So thank you in advance for doing that. Uh, make sure you check out Pay State Material next couple of days. Got some new shirts and stuff coming out. Until Thursday night, for Producer Jesse, for Director Come. I'm Josh Bate. Have a great rest of your evening. Take care and God bless.